Hello and welcome to Spiraling Upwards, where we are in pursuit of real holiness of life as a daily response to grace in the companionship of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the love of God the Father. I am Father Robert Healy, and I am delighted to welcome you to episode 12. Today, we will be talking about this holy campaign of Lent that we are launching today. Today is Ash Wednesday, and we are beginning, we are begun, you might say, we're already into Lent today. And I'd simply like, I, I think last week I alluded to this time of Lent as a spiritual campaign, and we spoke about how uh, the purpose of Lent is to deepen our love for the Lord and our knowledge of Him, which is kind of the general principle underlining this, this whole podcast. But I'd like to go deeper into that and meditate with you simply on the underlying reality of spiritually what's going on during this time, this time of holy battle. And I'd like to start simply by reading to you the collect from today's Mass. The collect is the opening prayer. It's the prayer that the priest says uh, right before we sit down for the readings. Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service, so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful and powerful prayer. I I think that this expression of being armed with weapons of self-restraint is very important. The the spiritual battle we're going to go up, it's against spiritual evils, not just earthly evils, not worldly evils. As as St. Paul says, the enemy that we fight is not flesh and blood. Is the principalities and the powers and and the spiritual forces of evil, and so what we are engaged in starting today, we're in a holy battle against evil, and we're arming ourselves. The reason we start Lent with with fasting, and and we end Lent with fasting, and we're encouraged to do fasting of various different sorts all Lent long, is because we need that fasting to arm us for the spiritual battle. It makes us strong. It joins us to our Lord in his fasting as we set aside our love of earthly things and we intensify our love of God and the love of holy things. Now, uh, before we get into talking about the 40 days that our Lord spent in the desert, which in some sense is what we are joining him for during this, this time of Lent, I'd like to talk about what the three things are that, in some sense, our Lord needed to face for us and with us during that time in the wilderness. In St. John's first letter, so this is First John, the second chapter, verse 15 and following. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. What is this world? What is he talking about? It's not just meaning trees and plants and animals and and the, the world that God created, which is good, he's talking about the corrupt and the broken, the evil, which, uh, which our Lord will refer to often as the world. Uh, the world hates you. If the world hates you, know that the world has hated me before you, right? It's this turned away world, the broken world, the world that is in rebellion against God, not the, the world as it is simply created by God. And so he continues in the next phrase, For all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So what he's pointing out is that in the creation of the world, all things were created good. And yet, because of the sin of our first parents, most especially of our first father, Adam, the world has been given over into subjection to the evil one. And so these three things he's mentioned, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What do those look like? What does that mean? Well, if we turn to Genesis and we see what our Lord is ta- what what St. John is talking about, uh, we would find that in chapter 3, when the devil, uh, appearing as a serpent, is speaking with Eve and is tempting her, remember, he comes to her in the garden, he says to her, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And she says, that's ridiculous. God said we can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for that one. And he says, why not that one? What is God holding out on you for? Why is he keeping you from eating from that one? And he seeds a doubt in her heart about the goodness of God, about the love that God has for her. Has God been holding out on her? Is he keeping back something? Why didn't he let why doesn't he let them eat from that tree? And the devil then goes on. Uh, he knows that if you eat from that tree, you'll become like him. And he's so jealous of his godliness. He's so jealous of his happiness and his fullness of getting to decide whatever he wants to do and whatever he thinks is right and wrong, that he's keeping that back from you. And so the devil has seeded a doubt in the goodness of God in the heart of Eve. And what we're told immediately says, this is verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, I'm sorry, was desired to, to be desired to make one wise and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Okay. Now, we see in this those three things St. John just mentioned the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes. It was a delight to the eyes. Mm. And the lust of the flesh. That the tree was good for food. Mm, Yum, yum. And that the tree is desirable to make one wise. This is pride. Oh, I want to be so wise. I would just as soon have that. So what we're being shown here, in some sense by St. John, is that the world, in the brokenness of the world, is in these three things. Is in desiring the desire, the, the pleasure of the flesh, contrary to the will of God, in the tasty apple, mm, yum. In the lust of the eyes, it looks beautiful and glittery and, and desirable. Uh, I, I think I'll take it. And this is like all of, the, all of the sins that are running around in our society right now in which people are looking at things they shouldn't look at and thinking about things they shouldn't think about and desiring things because of their eyes being snared. And so, and then the pride of life that says, I want to be wise for myself. I'll decide what is wisdom and what is good and what is bad. And the tragedy, the real, real tragedy in all this is that when the woman takes its fruit and ate, the immediate words right after that says, and she also 
gave some to her husband, and he ate. Some translations say, to her husband who was with her, <laughs> and he ate. In other words, we don't see Eve running around the garden saying, Adam, where are you, Adam? Hey, Adam, take a bite of this. And he says, what is this? Just eat it. It's really good. And then he takes a bite. No. Adam was standing there, and he saw the whole thing, and he saw Eve talking with the devil, and he didn't intervene. And he listens to the things that Eve is listening to, and he doesn't intervene. And he sees Eve go over and take the fruit, and he doesn't say, Eve, put that down. And he lets her eat it. And then she turns, and she offers it to him. And he takes it from her, and he eats it. Oh. You see what's happened? Eve might be falling kind of in the deception of, you know, oh, well, the servant tricked me and I, I saw it was beautiful and it was desirable for, for gaining wisdom and everything like this. But Adam knows. Adam saw everything and he's taken the fruit and eaten it knowingly. This is why it's Adam's sin. Adam was responsible all this time. God had already given Adam the command to protect and to guard the garden. He should have seen that snake and put a shovel through its head. You don't belong in my garden. And yet, he, he just stands there and lets the serpent yammer on with his wife. And then she goes and eats sees the fruit and she gives it to him. And knowing all these things and knowing that it's contrary to the will of God and knowing that he shouldn't do it, he takes it and eats it. And in all this brokenness, we find these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The brokenness that has happened. So what we need is a new Adam to reverse it all. We need the new Adam to come and to knowingly, willingly, deliberately, and lovingly do the will of his Father and refuse to take that which is wrongly offered to him. And uh, since uh, we have a new Adam, we need a new Eve. So we need an Eve who is not going to offer sin to the new Adam. We need an Eve who's going to encourage him and strengthen him and support him. Oh, I don't know, maybe he'll be standing at the foot of the cross, standing there strong and encouraging him to keep on going and to keep on striving and fighting the good fight. Of course, we have a new Eve just as we have a new Adam. So, having looked at those things, I want to jump over to St. Matthew's Gospel, and this is, of course, in uh, the fourth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, right when uh, our Lord has come up from his baptism, he's been baptized by John the Baptist, and we're told, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry course he was. He'd been fasting for 40 days. <laughs> and the tempter came and said to him, first thing he says, are you this, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Hmm. The lust of the flesh. Designed to satisfy the desires of the body in a wrong, in a corrupt way. Right? Turning rocks into bread. Hmm. And our Lord responds by saying, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Then 
the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What is this but pride? The pride of life. Oh, I will tempt God. I will throw myself off and let the angels catch me. And our Lord responds again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's responding faithfully to the Lord. He's not going to be proud. In humility, he will accept the will of God. And he will do the will of God and not put the Lord to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Mm, how beautiful they are, how glittery and glorious they are. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. You see, it's the lust of the eyes, the desire for all these riches and this power and this glorious stuff. And he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now what we see in these, in these three things is we see a response to Adam's sin and Eve's sin, to the, the threefold temptation that came right at the start. There's a threefold response to say, I only need God, and I will only serve God, and I will only love and desire God. And by those three things, to turn away from the inappropriate and disordered love of the of for fleshly desires and for the for the beautiful and glory, you know, glittery things that attract the eyes, and for those things which puff up our pride and make us want to be served and be taken care of. And he says, No, I'm not gonna worship you. I'm going to worship the only God and not uh, not reject his will, uh, not not tempt him, which would be to say, I'm going to throw myself off. You have to catch me. I trust fall now. <laughs> have you ever had that happen where some you're standing next to says, trust fall, and just starts to fall backward, hoping you're going to catch him? But this 40 days that we are in the desert with Christ are to be a time of doing battle ourselves against these three temptations, the temptation to desire uh, the things that are beautiful and rich and famous and powerful, and, and the temptation to f feed the, the desires of the body in a way that is disordered, and the pride of life, the, the pride that says, I am my own God, I will do my own thing, I will live how I want to live, and I'll do whatever I want. And so during this time, we can do battle bravely, not merely by focusing on the danger, you know, oh, I have to go into battle afraid of the enemy. No, no, no. If you're going to fight uh, a battle just as you're going, if you're going to play a sport and you're going to win the victory, you can't go in terrified that you're going to lose. You don't want to focus merely on the difficulty. You focus on the victory, on the honor on the loyalty to your captain and how you're going to fight for him. And you're going to do your best and you're going to give it all. And you're gonna, it's all laid out there on the field. Um, if we're soldiers for Christ, if we're called into spiritual battle with him, we want to do so with great joy. And to see in this time that we are preparing ourselves for the real battle, the moment we are put to the test, we are really tempted. 
We enter into spiritual battle with Christ so that he can strengthen us, so that when we are tempted, so we are put to the test, we don't fall. And I think we see this especially in, in our dear St. Peter. And here he is in the, in the Last Supper, during the Last Supper, and Jesus has said, truly one of you will betray me. And Peter says, I will never desert you. Even if everybody runs off, I will not run away. I would die for you. And our Lord says, will you? You will deny me three times before the cock crows. It's not that what Peter has said is wrong. I will never desert you. I will die for you. That's exactly what he should say. But what Peter doesn't know is just how much he will be put to the test and how unprepared he will be for that fight. When he's standing in the courtyard of the high priest's house and a girl walks up to him and says, you're a friend of his, aren't you? And he goes, no, 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 I have no idea what you're talking about. And another guy comes up and says, hey, you are, uh, you're a friend of, uh, and he's like, a friend of who? I don't know who you're talking about. And then the cousin of the guy he's, whose ear Peter lopped off in the garden says, he was with him in the garden. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's cussing and he's swearing and he's using all sorts of things that he wouldn't say. And then he makes eye contact with the Lord and realizes he just did it. And he goes and he weeps bitterly. And in that weeping bitterly, how much is resolved, how much is restored in his repentance. So during this Lent, we weep bitterly bitterly for our sins, and we turn our hearts ardently to the Lord, and we say, Lord, make us ready to fight the good fight for you. During this Lent, strengthen us so that when we are put to the test, we are ready to die for you rather than ever sin.